Mark the 11th chapter. Amen. I, um, I learned a long time ago to, I used to be very critical um, of myself um, when I would preach and teach. Um, I have uh, let up on myself a lot. That's that religious spirit that I've used to struggle with. And, um, but I do, uh, I do debrief. In other words, every time I preach and teach, my family will tell you I get real quiet. You know, they're like, you know, it's just I'm kind of going back over everything in my heart and mind. How could I have said it better? What could I have done different? Did I go too long, not long enough? These sorts of things. And, and so it's, when I say I'm adjusting to the discipleship class schedule, you know, you go for an hour and 40 minutes and you don't have just a few minutes to change gears and get back in here. So I'm trying not to debrief all of that. Um, but uh, one of my challenges, especially in that first class, is, man, I'm, I am so excited. It's like, you know, I mean, it's like just everything coming out. So um, I hope that uh, those of you who are in that class, you're, you got room for a little more tonight. Amen. Have you ever been so full, like maybe Thanksgiving, so full, you're like, man, I can't eat another bite. And then your mom pulls out your favorite dessert. And all of a sudden, well, you know what? I was really full, but I got room for that. Amen. Well, anyway, let's have some dessert tonight. For those of you who just had a, a buffet, uh, let's have a little dessert tonight and let the Lord make a little more room in our hearts for his, for his truth. Let's go to um, a familiar passage of Scripture for a lot of us here at Heritage. Let's go to Mark chapter 11, verse 22. And it says, So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Now, we preached a series of sermons from this passage, um, I don't know, a month or so ago. And we said it was the greatest faith lesson ever taught. And I stand by that. I, I believe the Holy Spirit dropped that phrase, that title, if you will, um, in my heart, in my spirit. And why I believe it's the greatest faith lesson ever taught is, number one, it's Jesus teaching it. But number two, it's an object lesson. He's demonstrating faith for us. And then along with that demonstration, he's, he's expounding upon it, but also he's in a practical way, but he's also including us in it. Including us in it. Now, the Lord, I think it was Charles Capps, the Lord spoke to and he said, I want you to read the Bible like you've never read it or heard anything about it before. And that kind of seemed a little odd to him at first, but what the Lord showed him in all of that is that many times we have a preconceived idea. We, our, our thoughts have already been contaminated in some way, and so when we come to a scripture based upon what we may have heard about it in the past, we, we already kind of have a slant or a take on it before we ever get to it. And so when the Lord told him that, he said, look, you know, I want you to just read it like you never heard anything about it before, never read it before. And, and of course, when he went to the scriptures with that attitude, he, he began to realize how many things that he assumed God said that God never said. How, you know, uh, things like, um, do you know the Bible doesn't say God helps those who help themselves? 
Benjamin Franklin said that, not Jesus. Okay. So there's a lot of things. <laughs> Come on now, you with me? Amen. Um, God won't put more on you than you can bear. The Bible doesn't say that. Never said that. But see, there are people who believe that. Man, there are folks that are just go toe-to-toe -to -toe with you almost, you know. Um, but it's, we, it's these preconceived notions, these preconceived ideas that we carry with us in, into the Scriptures. And so this passage, I know we've talked about it a lot here, and maybe you've studied it before. If, if we really just pause for a moment and think about what Jesus is saying here, the opportunity, the potential, the, the door that he's saying, um, the faith that you've been given um, is into the supernatural. Um, I've told you over and over again, you were created by God to solve problems with faith, not with money, not with money. You see, you can't fix a faith problem with money, but you can fix a money problem with faith. Amen. And, and we were created by God to solve problems by faith. Now, last week, we looked at one of the more unique parables that Jesus ever taught. And it, what it basically boils down to is that when we were in the world, we worked every angle, every loophole, every advantage we could find, um, even if we had to manipulate and blur the lines between right and wrong, you know, to get the most out of something. Um, to put ourselves in the best position to succeed. Um, but Jesus said that the sons of light, the sons of the kingdom, they don't have that same attitudes, the advantages that we've been given in Christ. And so one of the things that the Lord challenged us last week um, to do was to have that same kind of attitude, you know, towards our faith walk and towards walking in faith and towards using this, this measure of faith that we've been given um, to enjoy and experience everything that it was given to us uh, so that we could, um, you know, experience the things. I've got so many things firing off in my head. Remember, um, faith receives what grace has already given. And so you've been given tonight um, everything that you'll ever need. The Bible says all things that pertain to life and godliness. But we receive those things, enjoy and experience those things by faith. And so let me talk to you just for a few more minutes tonight about this subject of faith. I want to read this, these verses one more time, then I'm going to read verse 24. It says, So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be removed, be cast into the sea, does not doubt in his heart but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, in light of those verses and the miracle that they had just witnessed, therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Believe that you receive them and you will have them. Now, that is the New King James Version of Mark eleven twenty four. The King James Version reads just a little bit different. And I want to show you that tonight. Um, amen. I just lost my connection. But the, new, the King James Version, there it is, it's back. The King James Version says, Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire, or ye desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. And so the biggest difference, other than the yous and the yees, right, the biggest difference here 
is the King James Version leaves that word desire as is, where the New King James Version takes the implication of that word and translates it ask. So again, the New King James, therefore I say to you what things, uh, whatever things you ask when you pray. The King James Version, therefore I say unto you what things soever you desire. Notice now, comma, I've got it on the screen if you don't have a Bible in front of you or King James Version in front of you. What things soever you desire, comma, when you pray, comma, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Because the idea is that, that the praying is a form of the asking, okay? But what is being communicated here is that it begins with a desire. It begins with a desire. And I believe the King James Version here is more accurate. It may not um, read as smoothly, but it is a more accurate translation. What things wherever you desire, when you pray or when you ask in prayer, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Now, I want to go to all three of these verses in one more translation, and then we'll talk about a few things. This is, and I'll put it on the screen, I don't know if anybody in here has a God's Word translation in front of them, but here is the God's Word translation of these same verses. Jesus said to them, have faith in God. I can guarantee this truth. This is what will be done for someone who doesn't doubt, but believes what he says will happen. He can say to this mountain, be uprooted and thrown into the sea, and it will be done for him. Verse 24, that's why I tell you to have faith. That you have, that's why I tell you to have faith that you have already received whatever you pray for. Have faith that you have already received whatever you pray for, and it will be yours. And it will be yours. Now what's implied there is a period of time between believing that you receive and actually possessing, actually holding in your hands that which you've already believed what you received. Notice, that's why I tell you to have faith that you have already received whatever you pray for. If, if you were staring it or hold, if you were staring at it or holding it, you wouldn't have to have faith that you've received it. Your faith would be sight and, and it would be yours. So he's trying to show us not just what the faith we've been given will do, but he's also greatest faith lesson ever taught. He's, he's, he's showing us how to use faith, how to release faith, how to take the faith that we've been given and do something with it to make a difference in our lives, a real difference, a real difference. Now, let's talk along these lines for just a moment. I don't want to maybe get too bogged down here, but faith works according to a very specific set of factors and conditions. Again, the Bible says that you know, I'm to, I'm to speak and you're to 
You're to judge according to what I, what I say, according to the scriptures. And, and um, I believe, and I'm telling you tonight that I believe that the Holy Spirit spoke that statement into my spirit, still small voice inside of me. That faith works according to a very specific set of factors and conditions. And that we should not think it's strange that faith works this way, given everything Father has created works according to a very specific set of factors and conditions. Let's keep going here. Here's a couple of examples of what I believe he means by that statement. Seeds are powerful things that can produce amazing results. But seeds do not produce their amazing results any old way you try to use them. Seeds produce amazing results, but they produce those results with within the boundaries of a very specific, not random, but specific, not general, but specific set of factors and conditions. You've got to have the right kind of soil. You've got to have the right kind of light, the right kind of climate. You've got to have water. You've got to have air. There's a, there's a, a lot that's involved in the potential that's in a seed being released. And let me remind you that that seed is one of the things that Jesus used to help communicate to you and me um, faith and how it works. He said, faith as a seed. Faith as a seed. So as we learn about operating in faith, one of the key things I think that maybe some folks are missing and, and don't understand is that faith works according to a very specific set of factors. The air we breathe is another example. The air you breathe is not 100% oxygen. The air that we breathe is actually 78% nitrogen, 20.9% oxygen, and then the remaining 1.1% is carbon dioxide, argon, and helium. How, you, how the helium makes you talk real funny, right? All right? And helium, but thank God it's not enough helium to make us talk like clowns. Now, without going into a whole lot of science here, that range of oxygen there is ideal. In other words, too much oxygen or too little oxygen. And it's a phenomenal thing when you consider how this planet generates not only oxygen, but it, it generates a very specific, are you hearing me now? <laughs> a very specific range of oxygen 
that will sustain not only human life, but other life forms as well. Now, there's also oxygen in water. But I can't breathe it. And, and neither can you. But now a fish can. A fish can. See, I'm trying to show you, again, very specific set of conditions and factors. It's not just, you know, give me some oxygen, any oxygen will do. It's oxygen in a very specific range of saturation. And although the air we breathe contains other things, we can breathe all of that in and our body process the oxygen and expel the things that we don't need. But again, there's oxygen in the water, but, but it, it doesn't work that way. Let me give you one more. Your automobile requ requires fuel. It requires air, and it requires some form of ignition, or we could say fire. I mean, three basic elements. I'm, I'm certainly not some super mechanic. But again, fuel, gasoline, if you will. But gasoline alone is not enough. You got, if, if the air intake is, is not working properly in your car, it won't run properly or at all. And we're right about this. Come on, some of you that kind of go out on a limb here, but you guys understand mechanics better than me. Amen. But you can have the fuel in the air, but if there's no fire, if, there's, if you're not getting fire, that's why your lawnmower a lot of times won't crank. People think I'm a genius lawnmower mechanic. I'm really not. I just pray over them and put a new spark plug in them. It's usually about to, you know, dump the old fuel out, put some new fuel in, you know, put the new spark plug in there, and usually they'll fire right up, Okay. Too much or too little of any of these, though, will cause a system failure. Now, you can be sitting in your car surrounded by air with a five-gallon can of gasoline in the seat beside you and a lighter in your pocket. It doesn't mean you're going anywhere, right? Notice you've got the elements, you've got the air, you've got the gas, you've got the fire, right? Um, but that could be disaster, not driving, not cranking and, and rolling. Now, if I'm belaboring this, that's fine. I'm just trying to give it to you the way I feel like the Holy Spirit was revealing it to me. See, a lot of times when it comes to faith, though, we think close enough should be close enough and, 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 and that, you know, just some general random belief or, or, or what have you. No, that, that's, that's not how faith works. And again, that should not come as any surprise to us because everything our Father created works to a specific set of factors and conditions. Faith works according to a specific set of factors and conditions. And I believe we have those uh, just simple, you know, if you're looking for something super serious tonight, uh, it's, it's super important, but if you're looking for something really heavy or deep, the good news is it's not heavy or deep. It's just right there for us. Now, here are, and let's just wade off into this for, for a moment. I'm going to give you what I believe 
in, you know, in this greatest faith lesson ever taught are four of these key factors, four key conditions um, necessary for the faith that you've been given to produce results in your life. And, and those four things, it begins first of all with desire. And I really believe that's where a lot of folks are experiencing a system failure when it comes to their ability to operate in faith. It has to begin with desire. Jesus said, what things soever you desire when you pray. Now, why is desire so important if we're going to succeed in, in operating in faith? Well, true desire, true desire engages the heart. True desire engages the heart. Come on now, are you with me? And faith is a function of the heart. And desire has a way of motivating us. Desire has a way of, of compelling us. Am I, am I right about this? Come on now. I feel some of you pulling away. Just, just stay with me. Desire, um, let me, let me I, I don't, I'm not asking you to answer me out loud tonight. In your own heart, what do you desire tonight? What is it that you are longing for? What is it that you are just, you know, wanting Father to do in your life so much? You see, what, remember what Jesus said about the generation he was ministering, the generation that was alive on planet earth when he was here as a man ministering? He said, what in the world can I even compare this generation to? He said, we played the flute for you and you wouldn't dance. And then there was a time of, of, of a season of mourning and grieving and you wouldn't cry. There was just this, this, this stagnation, this indifference, this they had, they had come to this place in life where nothing really moved them. Nothing really stirred them anymore. They didn't get excited about things and they didn't really get, you know, uh, too, uh, you know, sad or, or mournful about things. They didn't get angry about things. They just, they just was kind of numb almost. I'm telling you, that's where the enemy wants you to be. If he can't like dominate you with negative emotions, he wants you to just be emotionless. Now, you need to read the Bible. God gets angry. The reason you have the ability to get angry is because God has the ability to get angry and you were created in His image and in His likeness. It's the enemy of your soul who's trying to manipulate your ability to get angry and use that anger in, in, in an uncontrollable, uh, lack of self-control way where that anger becomes uh, a, a great negative in your life and the life of those around you. But brother, sister, there are some things we should get angry about. There are some things that should stir up, uh, you know, emotion inside of us, in our hearts, and motivate us to want to see something done about it, see something change, right? 
So when we start talking about desire, you know, it's so easy to start talking about faith and believing that you receive and all these other things and hope and this and that. But again, if, there's, if it doesn't begin with genuinely desiring something, you know, the Bible says that the only thing that's limiting you and me is our desires. The affections of your heart. He calls it the affections in one translation, desires in, in another. So the enemy's tried your whole life to manipulate you and confuse you into desiring things that are destructive and harmful and, and, and never really cultivating any kind of taste for or desire for uh, the things of God in our lives. My brother, sister, if you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit tonight, my prayer for you is that a burning desire begins to develop in your heart to the point that it's taken your sleep away from you at night because you can't stop thinking about it, right? If you're here tonight and, and, and you're believing God for some breakthrough in your family, man, I pray that, that as, as you begin to meditate on what God's will is for your family and what Jesus has already done so that your family can be whole and, and restored and all these other things, that it begins to cultivate a desire inside of you. It's, it's, it's very difficult, if not impossible, to operate in faith apart from a desire in your heart for something to change, for something to, to, to be different, for, for, for some uh, uh, revelation to come, for some breakthrough to come. Amen. Desire. What things soever you desire, when you pray, he said, believe you receive. Believe you receive. Now, I think I've made it clear, but let me just, as we're building on this, the greater that desire for the things of God grows and develops in your life, that's going to provide the foundation, if you will, for you to believe that you receive. Now, it's very clear, I don't think anybody in here, you know, if you're going to argue with it, you're going to argue with God. He says, faith by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But faith is not the only thing that's aroused or awakened in you by hearing the word of God. Desire is also awakened and aroused within you by hearing the Word of God. Are you following what I'm saying here? When you begin to hear of the things that Jesus has done for you and, and, and the life that He's made available for you and the blessing that He's put in place for you, come on now, when you hear verses like the blessing of the Lord makes one rich and He adds no sorrow with it, does that not create some desire in you for these things? Brother Jesse Duplantis was talking about, he said, you know, he said, all I knew about, uh, about he said, I thought you were supposed to be poor. He was a very wealthy man when he got born again in the music industry. He said, all I knew about, he said, I hadn't read the Bible. He said, I just, my understanding of it is if you're going to be a Christian, live for God, you got to be poor. He says, I told my wife, Kathy, I, you know, we're going to do this God thing. I guess we got to give it all away. Gave every, everything he had away. He said, I'm, when I say everything I had, he said, I'm talking about like gave it all away. And then some folks called us to ask us to go out to eat with them. And we're like, 
<laughs> Only if you're buying, because we, we don't even have money to go buy a hamburger. And then he, you know, he said, you know, if I might ought to read the Bible. And he began to see that God's desire is for, is for us to prosper. And, and for us to be blessed. So blessed that we become a blessing to other people. And that we have not only our needs met, but also our desires met, where we have an abundance lacking in no good thing and are able to, to give to other people and do for other people. He began to read these things and begin to... And was, it created a desire in him. Isn't it amazing how the devil tries, when we start desiring, you know, in this area, oh no, that's, that's greed, that's this, that's that. No, no, it's, it, it's, it's something that Father has for you. You start reading about, how about this one? Uh, John 14 says that, that because Jesus is returning to the Father, that we'll do the works that he did, and even greater works than these. Come on, anybody in here desire to lay your hands on the sick people and see them healed? Anybody in here desire to lay your hands on people who are, who are oppressed and, and, and being abused by the enemy and, and see them set free? Amen, right? So notice, so what's happening here? I mean, we're, we're still a, a little ways away from, from actually, you know, releasing our faith and seeing that happen. But it'll never happen if it doesn't start with a desire in our hearts. A desire for the greater things of God. A desire for the, for the abundant life. A desire to, to walk in the freedom that we've been given. A desire to walk in the identity that we received when we were born again. A desire to, to, to minister effectively and to make a mark on this world that can't be erased. Again, a desire. Notice, where do those desires come from? They come from reading about them in the Scripture. The same word that awakens and arouses faith in us will, will start by awakening and arousing a desire. See, with Jesse Duplantis, he, he didn't even know that, that God desired for him to be wealthy until he read it in the Word. He thought it was a, a bad desire. It was a good desire. So the desire, then the next thing we see is believe you receive. When you pray, Believe you receive. When you pray, believe you receive whatever you desire. In other words, you desired it enough to ask. So that desire gave birth to prayer, gave birth to asking. And so now when you pray, believe that you received it. Okay? That's number two. Believe you receive. When you pray, not when you have it in the bank, not when it's parked in the driveway, not when, uh, are you, are you understand what I'm saying? Not when it feels better. Don't believe you receive it when your family starts taking your calls again. Believe you receive it when you pray. Now this then, again, very specific. The third one is hope. The third one is hope. I'm giving you four. That's the third one. First one is desire. Desire. 
You know, you can ask the Lord, you can ask him to give you a heart to desire him. It's biblical prayer. Father, give me a heart to desire you. Man, we've had hearts that have desired all kind of crazy stuff, right? Father, I want a heart that desires you. I pray that over my children. I pray that over this family of faith. Father, give us a heart that wants you, a heart that longs for you, a heart that desires you, right? There's a lot here, and we're going to build on this some more next week. But see, disappointment is what brought those people to that place of basically no desire. Okay? To me, <clears throat> one of the areas that we really need to revisit, and in my humble opinion, that we need to, um, to realign is involves confusion around what real hope is. Now listen to me, please, because this, this is where I think a lot of the confusion comes into place is that we confuse desire for hope. We, we confuse desire for hope. In other words, we often say, man, I'm hoping this happens. And what we're really saying is, we want it to happen. We desire it to happen. But that's not hope. Desire is a good thing. Just don't get hope and desire confused with one another. Okay? Because real hope is important, but real hope must have a basis. If there's no basis for it to rest upon, it's not genuine hope. In the same way that there is a feigned or a pretend simulated faith, there is a pretend or feigned hope that goes along with it. And we want the real thing, amen? Hope, by definition, is a confident expectation. And the Bible says that Abraham had a confident expectation that he and Sarah were going to have a child because of what he believed he received. Him believing he received the promise of God when there was no evidence in his life to support it. As a matter of fact, the evidence that did exist in the sense realm contradicted. It didn't support what he believed. It contradicted what he believed. This is why the Bible says in Romans 4, he had hope when there was no reason for hope. He had hope because he believed in hope. He believed his way to a place of hope. Now, why is this important? Because what you believe is what gives substance to what you hope for. Are you following? That's, we'll look at that next week, Hebrews 11. So the desire, it's like, <clears throat> y'all remember we talked about the woman with the issue of blood and she, the Bible said she said within herself continually, if I but touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made whole. See, that was a lady who wanted to be, be well more than anything. 
Look at all the times that, that people would come to Jesus with obvious needs. I mean, you got a blind man coming to you for prayer and Jesus says, what would you like for me to do for you? Jesus is not being dumb here, right? Jesus is recognizing the importance of activating this man's desire in his heart for him to give voice to his desire. I desire this building to be filled for the glory of my Father on a Wednesday night. So I'm saying. See, the enemy don't want you voicing your desire, right? I mean, people that did, No, see, he's trying to intimidate you, right? It's what I desire. It's what I long for. Amen. See, so, so Jesus recognized this man, obvious need. Look at it, read the Bible. Jesus asked him, what would you like for me to do for you? What, what do you desire? For, he didn't maybe say it exactly like that. But what, what can I do for you? What, what would you like for me to do for you, right? What's your desire? Do you realize, and I know I'm not trying to mess with your doctrine, and I'm not trying to end this on a, on a, on a sad note, but, but Jesus walked up. How many porches were there? There Was it seven porches filled with sick people waiting for the waters to be disturbed so they could roll off in there and get well? Jesus walked up in the middle of all those sick people and healed one man. Now, I don't, I, again, I don't, I don't understand all that. So we have this idea that Jesus just healed everybody. That woman with the issue of blood, we have absolute... Matter of fact, he was on his way to another man's house when she came out of her house, snuck down there and grabbed hold of him and received her healing to the point that Jesus stopped and said, who touched me? Right, you see what I'm saying? It was desire. It's easy for us to say faith, right? And, and certainly faith was a factor in this. But before there was ever faith, there was a desire. It got so, it got so strong in her, they could have stoned her for what she did. But that desire got so strong in her, she had to go and grab hold of him. Desire, believe you receive. That hope then, the Bible says, becomes the anchor for your mind. It becomes the title deed. It becomes that which refutes any contradicting evidence. And then four is receive it into your possession. But hope is what carries you, confident expectation is what carries you from believing that you receive. That gives us that confident expectation to actually receiving in our possession, right? If, if I say, um, Pam, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go look outside on the porch and see if there's a package out there for me, right? Well, obviously I have an expectation of a package because I've ordered a package, right? That's supposed to be delivered today. So I have a confident expectation. I'm going out there to, to receive into my possession something that I desired that I entered into a transaction to purchase 
that I then began to confidently expect to show up at my house, now I'm going out on the porch to receive that into my possession. Am I the only one that likes to get packages? Okay. So, but what if one day I just, I'm like, hey, baby, I'm going to go see if there's any packages for me on the front porch. And she goes, oh, I didn't know you ordered anything. And I'm like, oh, I didn't. I just like to get packages. I'm just hoping there's something out there. See, that's, that's wishful thinking. That's not hope. That's wishful thinking. That's not hope. Amen. Stand with me. Praise God. Here's what I want to ask you to do, okay? I heard, um, actually it was Brother Keith Moore talking about Brother Hagen. He, he said that his wife had called and one of the children weren't feeling well. And um, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with pray or anything like that. But he said, Brother Hagin didn't at that moment pray. He got off the phone, he got out his Bible, and he went through healing scripture after healing scripture after healing scripture after healing scripture, reading those scriptures, confessing those scriptures, meditating on those scriptures. And only after he had done that, I don't know, maybe for almost an hour, he then prayed for his son who was in another state right to be healed and Keith Moore talks about how he he learned from him in that in other words he he got the word of God faith by hearing hearing by the word of God he got something built up on the inside of himself and then released it now once you release faith like that now you you believe you receive it and you enter into a confident expectation that my boy at home is going to be fine. And you may get the call that later that evening. It may be the next day. It may be three days later. But, but hope bridges that gap. Amen. Confident expectation. Confident expectation. Father, thank you for this time together this evening. Thank you for your love. Father, we release our faith for this time of instruction tomorrow. I thank you, Lord, for men and women who are going to be here tomorrow that need to hear from you. And I thank you, Father, that they're going to hear from you tomorrow. And Lord, you are going to impart some things to those men and women that they're going to be able to go and impart to others who are in need. Father, as we go our separate ways, our prayer is that we let our light so shine before men that they see our good works, glorify you in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you so much for being here tonight. You have a blessed, blessed rest of your day. Great week. Amen. I'll see some of you tomorrow, some of you Sunday. Good things coming.
my uh, cup and sink in there. Okay, I'll take care of it. Thank you, buddy.